0: The following is a sermon from the Edgington Evangelical Presbyterian Church in Taylor Ridge, Illinois. I would invite you to open up the scriptures with me to Matthew 7. Matthew chapter 7 and verses 7 through 11. This morning we come to Jesus' words on the Sermon on the Mount in this final chapter uh, under the heading, Ask and it will be given. We're going to be thinking a lot this morning about the idea of prayer as it's directed to the Heavenly Father and the uniqueness of His gracious ear that receives the prayers of His children. That's what we're thinking about this morning, which is a lovely, lovely topic. So if you've got your Bible open there in Matthew 7, let's ask God's blessing upon the Scriptures and hear it together. Lord, how thankful we are that that You invite us by grace to pray, to lift up the voices of our souls and cry out to You as Your Son Jesus teaches us. And so, Lord, as we come to that very text where we learn that, I pray that You would give to me and all of us the help of Your Holy Spirit to illuminate our minds, to give understanding, to illuminate our hearts, to receive what You would teach us. And, Father, that You would illuminate and transform our very lives, that we might be Your people in sincere faithfulness. Lord, help us this morning. Help us to grow in grace. Help us to be transformed into the likeness of Jesus. And help us to delight to call You our Father. For we pray in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. And now hear the Word of God from Matthew 7, at verse 7 through the end of verse 11, Ask, and it will be given. This is the Word of God. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you If his son asks him for bread, we'll give him a stone. Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a serpent. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? Amen. The Grass withers. In the flower phase, but the Word of God abides forever. And so let's do keep our Bibles open together there as we find Jesus speaking to us about this all-important topic of not just prayer, but the way we think of God, our Heavenly Father. Now, let let me locate this particular text in light of what Jesus is doing here in the Sermon on the Mount. If you were with us last week, or if you were able to uh, give attention to the first part of Matthew chapter seven, you can look back and realize that Jesus just concluded a section about judging one another, right? Where we read in Matthew seven verse one, "Judge not, that you would not be judged." And he goes from that topic to this topic in a way that would seemingly give us topical whiplash. What are you? What are you talking about, Jesus? You've just talked about judgment, and now you're talking about prayer. It might seem that Jesus is repeating himself, especially since he just spent extended time addressing the subject of prayer when he taught us in Matthew chapter 6, especially verses 5 through 15, where we learned about the Lord's Prayer and we learned about uh, prayer itself. Now we come to this uh, return topic of prayer again. But what Jesus wants us to be thinking about in relationship to this particular section of prayer, is again, more than just prayer itself. And we're able to see that because the progression of what Jesus is saying to us in the Sermon on the Mount has gone like this. We said this last week, but let's, let's review this idea that in chapter 5, Jesus was focusing on the character of the Christian believer the character of the citizen of the kingdom of heaven. uh, What their life is like, their character. And then in chapter six, the focus was on how living in Christ's kingdom transforms not just our character, who we are, but also our actions, what we do. So being a Christian believer and living in the kingdom of Jesus Christ transforms both our character and our actions. And the subject of chapter seven, is that it transforms our relationships. Living in the Kingdom of Jesus Christ transforms our character, our actions, and our relationships is what all of the Sermon on the Mount is all about. Chapter 7 is focusing on those relationships between fellow believers in Christ, between believers in Christ and unbelievers, between believers and their Heavenly Father, between believers and their Savior, Jesus Christ. Chapter 7 is all about these various relationships that shape who you are as you live in the kingdom. And this particular section is then about our relationship with the Heavenly Father. The Heavenly Father. Now, let us affirm together that we believe in the Christian faith in a triune God. Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I would venture to guess that when you and I think about God, our thoughts are most likely drawn out to Jesus. They're drawn out to Him as we consider Him bearing our flesh, living the righteousness that we need to live as we think about His teaching, as we think about He is the one speaking these very words to us. When we think about God, we probably think about Jesus, and that's good. But God is triune, and He is a Father, Son, and a Spirit. And Jesus wants you and I to think about, now, the Father. Do you think about your Heavenly Father? And if you do think of Him, what is it that you think? What is it that you think when you think about the Heavenly Father? What comes to mind? Now, I think it's oftentimes the case that we we take our earthly associations of fathers and we impart that understanding onto the Heavenly Father. We think, my experience of a father on earth has been this, and so therefore I assume that the Father in heaven is like this because my experience of fathers is this. And sometimes that's on a spectrum, isn't it? I know people whose earthly fathers are very harsh to them. Were very judgmental and not kind and unloving, never with a tender word. And they associate the Heavenly Father with their earthly fathers in harshness. That the Heavenly Father just looks down on them with disapproval all the time. I know others whose experience of an earthly father has been nothing but tenderness and joy and love and affection and warmth and protection and security, and they associate their earthly father with their heavenly father in that way. I don't know where you are on the spectrum of associating your earthly fathers with the heavenly father, but we all do something like that. And I think oftentimes the tendency is is that when we think about God, again, our thoughts are drawn out to Jesus. And if we think about the Father, we think of Him only as judge. Only as judge. Constantly with an eye towards examining what we're doing at all times. Constantly rendering judgment about who we are, what we do, the actions we take, the thoughts we think, and all the rest. Is God a judge? Is God the Father a judge? The answer is, yes. Yes, He is a judge. But, He is a judge who, in grace through His Son, Jesus Christ, if you like, comes from behind the bench of His justice to hand you adoption papers and welcome you into His family. He is a judge who gives you adoption papers and welcomes you into His family with Jesus Christ as your spiritual elder brother. And Jesus Christ wants you now to consider your Heavenly Father. To elevate your thoughts of the Heavenly Father and see Him in tenderness and compassion and grace and mercy. The the thing that I think of most uh, about God, the first person of the Trinity, the Father, is uh, something that John Owen said in the 17th century. He said this, the worst thing The worst thing that you can do when you think about the Heavenly Father is to not believe that He loves you. The worst thing that you can do when you think about the Father is to not believe that He loves you. When we think about the Heavenly Father, our thoughts in Christ should go to the reality that His heart is overflowing with love toward us in Christ. So, Jesus wants us to know how is it that we relate to this Heavenly Father? How can we know Him? Why can we come to Him as Father? What does it mean to pray with Him as Father? And along the way, as we think about prayer, we'll think about questions like this. Why pray at all if God is sovereign? People love that question. Why should we pray if God already knows? And what do I do when He doesn't seem to answer my prayers? Does that mean He's a bad father? That He doesn't care? Jesus is addressing these things, I think, to us this morning. Let's first of all see that Christians must come to their Heavenly Father for grace. Christians must come to their Heavenly Father for grace. Jesus has three words for us this morning, and they're all in verse 7. Let's look again at verse 7 where Jesus says this. Matthew 7, at verse 7, ask, and it will be given to you, Seek and you will find, knock and it will be open to you. Jesus is giving a threefold direction and encouragement for praying to the Heavenly Father. And what he is saying is that we must come. Being a Christian involves coming to the Heavenly Father for grace. They must go boldly to the Lord in prayer. And Jesus is teaching here that you and I are to be encouraged in the pursuit of praying with the knowledge that God hears us. John Calvin said it this way, nothing is better able to excite us to pray than a full conviction that we shall be heard. Nothing is better able to excite us to pray than a firm conviction that we will be heard. You know what it's like when someone doesn't pay attention to you. You know what it's like to have relationships with people who you feel do not give you attention when you come to them with a need, right? So much so that you quit going to them because you know that based off of who they are, they're not going to listen. And even if they pretend to listen, they're not going to do anything about what you say. We've all experienced relationships like that, but On the other hand, when you have a relationship with someone who not only listens to you, who takes an interest in you, you're confident that going to them will involve care, compassion, and response. Jesus wants to know, do you realize that the Father is willing to hear, listen, and respond to you? That's what He says. The Lord Jesus is intending to stir up in us encouragement to pray as he issues this triple command, ask, seek, knock. And every single one of those words points in the same direction and involves an intensification as it goes. Ask, seek, knock. Those are commands. They're not suggestions. Jesus is attempting to press on us both the privilege and responsibility of prayer and the encouragement to do so as he says, ask, seek, knock. So what do those words mean? You might say, they're obvious, right? Everybody knows what these words mean. Well, Jesus says, first of all, ask. And the word that he uses there is the picture of a beggar. Begging for mercy, charity. It's also the word that would be used in secular Greek literature for someone who is arguing a case before a judge. Someone who is arguing their position The Lord Jesus, when he says ask, means beg and plead. It means petition, particular with reference not to two parties of equal authority, but the petitioning and the asking from the lesser to the greater. And what Jesus is doing when he tells us to ask is he is reminding us of the necessary humility that should be involved as we approach the Heavenly Father in prayer. The consciousness of our humility through our need when we go to God in prayer. What does this look like? Jesus has an illustration for this in Luke chapter 18 when He says, there are two men who came to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and one was a publican, tax collector. When the Pharisee goes to pray, he doesn't ask God for anything. In fact, he tells God, God, thank you for making me so great. I don't need anything from you because I am sufficient within myself. The Pharisee doesn't ask God for anything because he has no consciousness of his need. Jesus is driving forward this point. To ask is to be conscious of need. The other man in the parable is the publican, the tax collector. Who pleads with God for mercy, who asks God for graciousness because he knows that he is a sinner. The publican pleads his case before the Heavenly Father, and when Jesus says ask, it means ask with humility, ask because you have need, and your consciousness of your need causes you to come in humble reliance upon your heavenly Father, if you're convinced that you have it all together, if you're convinced that you're sufficient within yourself, prayer has no purpose for you. But to the one who in humility realizes what they lack, they will come to the Father and, Jesus says, they will ask. Secondly, He says, not only ask, but seek. The seeking in this sense is the the diligent scouring. Like if you were to drop something important, yesterday I was changing the batteries in my watch and the screws on the back of that watch couldn't be any smaller, right? And at one point I dropped one and, you know, without it, the watch back won't stay on. You scour, it's this idea. And it's not just Uh, 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 searching for anything in particular. Jesus has uh, searching with regard to finding someone who will help me. Maybe you know what it's like to be on the phone with a customer service representative and they're doing nothing for you, (laughs) right? You say, transfer me to somebody else. Somebody who can actually help me. Somebody who can actually answer my questions. I was doing that this past week. And every time I call the same agency, they take no notes on the case, so you have to go through the whole thing all over again. And you say, wouldn't it be great if someone knew me? Wouldn't it be great if someone knew my troubles so that in seeking I am known? Jesus says, that's the kind of seeking that is present when you have a Heavenly Father. You seek what you will find, and what you find will be someone who knows you And can help you. Ask, seek, knock. Knocking here is not a gentle quiet, but a literal pounding or banging, a preservation with boldness to obtain. Favor. Another way that Jesus illustrates this is in Luke chapter 11, when a person goes to his neighbor's house because he's run out of food and he's desperate for bread and he pounds on the door until the person uh, wakes up and then says, Go away, I don't have any. You'll wake up the rest of my family. But Jesus uses that illustration in the context of prayer because he says that we who are in Christ ba- pound on the door, literally. Of heaven, to implore the Father to hear us. So there is this sense of persistence, boldness to obtain grace from God in the asking, seeking, knocking. This is intended to promote in us humility and a single minded desire to find help and diligence and persistence for God to hear us. Now, here's why this is important, okay? The reason why Jesus says this to us. It's not because He's intending to give us some kind of secret technique. If you really want to be heard by God, you have to pray like this, but only like this, because if you pray this way, He won't hear you. That's not what He's saying. But to realize that prayer is on our behalf an asking, a seeking, a knocking, whereby we, through humility, imploring help with persistence, realize that prayer is not most fundamentally about changing God as if He could be changed. But it's actually about changing us. God calls us to pray, not because He is helpless within Himself if you don't pray, but because you and I are often helpless if we don't pray. That's a big difference, isn't it? The reason why Jesus goes to great lengths to instruct us on this is because we need to understand this. It changes us from a spiritual entitlement to a humility that asks. It transforms us from spiritual laziness to a desire to seek. And it changes our complacency with a persistence to knock. Jesus is trying to motivate us. He's trying to encourage us. And the encouragement comes not just from the command, ask, seek, knock, but from this second point when Jesus says this. When you ask, seek, and knock, what will you find? Not an uncaring deity in the sky who casts you away and says, I'm busy, do something else. No, you will find a Father in heaven who loves to receive the prayers of His children. Notice how Jesus says this. Ask, and it will be given. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened. And with further emphasis in verse 8. For everyone who asks, receives, and the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. You see, there's three commands. Ask, seek, knock. But there are six responses that when you ask, seek, and knock, you will be Given, found, and the door will be open to you. God will hear your prayers. Now, I think we just take that for granted, don't we? That God hears our prayers when we pray, coming to Him agreeable with His will in the name of Jesus. God hears our prayers. And we must pray. Jesus Himself prayed. That's why when people ask the question if God is sovereign, why pray? What's the point if He already knows? We're not informing Him. So why should we do it at all? Because God has ordained that it is through the working of our prayers that God will work. Again, it's not that God needs to be informed. It's not that God needs to be given instruction, but rather that we are to pray even though God is sovereign because prayer changes us That's the point. What Jesus is saying to us here is He is determined to convince us that when we pray, we are not acting in vain. And I think the reason why He drives so hard at that is because if we're honest, we would say in moments of doubt, in moments of fear, I just don't think God hears. I think my prayers hit some kind of spiritual ceiling. And don't make it to heaven. I don't know why you and I might be tempted to think that maybe it's something that that, that we have struggled with in our life. Maybe some guilt. Maybe something that we need to repent of. I'm not sure what it is that causes us to think that prayer is a labor in vain. But Jesus says, no, it's not. No, it's not. His half-brother James also says in James 4.2, why don't you have... Because you don't ask. And you think, come on, it can't be that simple. To Jesus it is, actually. You have not because you ask not. Because you don't really believe that your Father in Heaven cares. Because you don't really believe that He's in tune, watching, concerned with, active in your life. Friends, I think... Our prayerlessness is intended to stir up in us, not guilt, right? Because if, if, if you feel guilt at your prayerlessness, it won't motivate you to pray. Guilt is a terrible motivator. Our prayerlessness should stir up in us the thought that maybe I haven't really believed that the Father is full of love for me. Maybe I don't really think that God is overflowing with compassion toward me and I need to change my mind. Jesus says pray because God answers prayer. And finally, the last part of this motivation is that when you pray, God always answers your prayers, but His answers are according to His purposes, His timing, and His will, meaning that His answers are full of wisdom and grace Let's see that in verses 9 through 11. Jesus says in verse 9, Which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? He's wanting to draw out your experience of earthly parenting, right? That's the point here. Jesus is teaching us this thing that Christians must trust that their Heavenly Father is able to answer prayer with wisdom and grace. And to do this, He gives these illustrations. Again, because Jesus knows that, that you and I harbor doubts in our heart. We harbor doubts that God really cares. And to correct us, Jesus teaches us this, that there are prayers that God answers in a particular way. Prayers that are sometimes unanswered, prayers for healing, prayers for restoration. What are we to think about God as a Heavenly Father when we implore Him for mercy and healing upon our loved one and they still die? What are we to think when we implore Him for restoration of a relationship and and it's still strained? How should we think about this? Do we conclude from that? Look, I prayed and it didn't work, so I won't bother anymore. This this prayer stuff, it doesn't work. When those types of doubts enter our minds, when we struggle with unanswered prayers, Jesus says, look, think about it this way. He says, first of all, remember that you come to God as his child that we are to go to the Heavenly Father just like a child goes to his father or mother to ask for, in his illustration, food, loaf of bread, piece of fish, right? Basic necessities, life's staples. And we are to go to the Father with that same sense of trust and love that a child has toward their earthly parent. Right? Now, we're not at this stage yet, right? But those of you with, you know, toddlers and older children or grandchildren... When they want something from you, you can't get away from them, right? They're going to find you. Even if you try to hide in the bathroom, right? They're going to come for you. When a child needs something, they come. And they come and they persist in their coming. And Jesus says, You're to go to your father like that as a child. So the Lord Jesus, when He says, go to the Heavenly Father with your asking, your seeking, and your knocking, go with the confidence that He hears you as His child. Not as some stranger that He doesn't know, not as some stranger that He doesn't care for, but as His own child. The Heavenly Father is a better parent than any earthly parent. And Jesus' point here is that if earthly parents are capable of nurturing and caring for their children... Don't you realize that your heavenly Father is so much better at doing the same thing? And he also says this, not just that you should come to him as a child, but also that when you come to him, you should expect good things from him. You should expect good things from him. Just as when the child asks for a loaf of bread, Jesus says the parent doesn't give a stone. Even evil parents don't stoop that far. The child comes to the parent. The parent supplies the need. So too, Jesus says, our Heavenly Father, you should expect of Him to give you good things. And here's the challenge for that for us. That as the child in the illustration, we're not the Father. And therefore, the necessity of acknowledging that we don't often know best. So that when we ask... And our asking is not in agreement with His will. And when we ask the question, the answer is no. doesn't mean that that no isn't goodness toward you. The Father always answers in goodness. We are to expect good things from God, even when the answer is no or not yet. Jesus says in verse 11, if you who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your heavenly Father, will your Father who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask Him? I think you have to settle in your mind, you and I both have to settle in our mind, that when we pray with earnest desires, when we ask, when we seek, when we knock, and the answer is still no, it's because it's the better answer. And growing in Christ means growing in submission to receiving the no or the not yet. Do yourself a favor and ask someone that you really respect in Christ who's walked in the faith for a lot longer years than you. Ask them about their experience of the grace of unanswered prayers. Okay? That's more than just a Garth Brooks song, it is a realization that God saying no to you at times might be the best grace He can give you. But just because He says no doesn't mean He doesn't hear. Again, the way Calvin explains this is he says, the Heavenly Father does not hear our prayers and answer them as we ask them, but He answers them as we would ask them if we were wiser. That is to say that God, the Heavenly Father, responds to our prayers with the perspective of providence to know what's best that sometimes you have to wait a long time to figure out. So the Lord God hears our prayers. Jesus wants us to trust Him to answer our prayers wisely and graciously. And everything that Jesus is saying is simply this, that your Father loves to care for you and receive your prayers. So don't let anything hinder your asking, your seeking, your knocking because your Heavenly Father loves you with a love that is beyond your understanding. So Jesus says, go to Him. Go to Him. Let's do so now. Father, we thank You that by Your grace You are not against us, but for us, that you are no longer the judge to condemn us, but you are the judge to welcome us into your family. And so, Father, may we see you as full of love towards us through your Son, and may that transform our praying that we might so boldly come to you as your children. Lord, give us grace in this, and Lord, for all of us in this room this morning and Wherever we are considering these words, I pray transform us by your spirit to grow in our humble dependency upon you and our confidence of the goodness of your purposes as you answer our prayers. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to today's sermon. If you would like more information about our church or its ministries, please visit edgingtonepc.org. May God bless and keep you.